I guess in, in terms of you know your story, um, okay. how how did you actually come across us, and what made you actually reach out to us in order to share your story in the first place? So I don't know I don't remember which one of your podcasts it was, but I was listening to one of your podcasts, hmm. and um, I don't know it something just struck me, and I've I've been working on this for a long time. I've contacted quite a few people. Um, organizations, people, imams, um, uh, females, also Muslim females who are quite prominent on like Instagram and stuff. Um, but I didn't get much of a response to them. So contacting you guys was just like, um, I was just doing what I was trying to do, like get my word out there. Um, but I initially contacted you because I thought, oh, I'll give you a topic and you guys can sort of discuss it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of our first discussions because um, you mentioned your story with us, which we'll go into shortly. Um, yeah. But um, we, we, even us, when we heard it, we weren't sure like how to raise awareness about it. Um, oh, okay. Because you know, uh, it would it would be better coming from you firsthand. Yeah. And, you know how how would I think we we can touch on that. What what would make sense okay. is if you. If you, you know, in your words and everything, if you start telling us, um, you know, the, the context of the situation, what happened, okay, and cool. then, you All know, right. we can we can follow in with um, why perhaps it's a unique situation and why yeah. we felt that we couldn't help directly, but we could indirectly, yeah. um, sorry, the other way around, we couldn't help uh, indirectly, but we can directly by you coming on to the podcast and having that discussion first stand. It's kind of crazy to have to say it from start to finish um but the long well in in short the beginning of this starts with your typical arranged marriage um so i did like going into my family background a bit like my parents are very like i would say we have like a good balance of like islam and like culture and like mixing into the uk life a bit um so my parents have always been quite open with us like if you find someone you know if he's a good person don't go outside your limits if you think you can marry the person you know bring him home we'll meet him we have that kind of setup but to be honest it just didn't ever happen with me and you know they I got to a point where they were like you know what's happening and I said oh you know nothing's really happening for me why don't we try like you guys look as well and I think with all parents they all look anyway <laughs> especially if you're a girl you have that kind of pressure um yeah. societal pressure as well like it's always there um and me being sort of the second oldest my older sister she got married very young so the pressure was always there um so basically my parents I, I had an arranged marriage um and it kind of happened really fast and I just want to say like I don't regret any of it I don't regret getting married nothing like I just see what I went through as like a test and trial that that was made for me and I was supposed to go through that to get to where I am today. Um, so, you know, Alhamdulillah for everything. I don't, I don't regret anything. And I'm thankful for the test and trial. It's just that I want to put my voice out there that this is the kind of stuff that girls need to be prepared for. Um, so going back a little bit, I had, I had an arranged marriage. Um, it did happen very, very fast. It did happen very fast, but, um, it was like I was I was reading my Istakara and everything was kind of like um, everything was just so easy 
And, you know, I thought, there's my answers. You know, if everything's happening easily, um, then, you know, this must be the best thing to do. Like, this is where it's written for me. So I kind of just went with it as well. And I think um, a lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand is, like, a lot of people, they still, to this day, say to me, oh, you went through all of this. Didn't you read, didn't you read Ustahara? Didn't you get any signs? Yes, I did read my Istikhara and it still did go ahead. So to me, in my mind, again, that saying to me that, yes, this was meant to happen to me. I was supposed to be put through this test and trial kind of thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like just because something bad happened and you say you did your Istikhara, it doesn't mean your Istikhara was wrong. Yeah, and uh, like, just to just to touch on that, there's um I don't know if it's a hadith or it's uh, a verse from the Quran, but Allah Taala doesn't give us uh, a test that we can't bear. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly, and and back then, I was very naive, a very simple shy girl, and I've changed a lot. I've changed a lot, and you know, again, it goes back to you're not put through like tests and trials that you can't bear. And um, I did, I did bear it. I got through it and I got through it on such a good side and I'm doing so much better. So Alhamdulillah for everything. But um, yeah, I I had an arranged marriage and um, we met as families. Um, Everything seemed fine. Everything was falling into place. I just went with it. There was a lot of pressure from their side to do things very quickly. And um, we did fall for the pressure. I'm not going to say that we didn't. we fell for it. We fell for their pressure because they presented sort of a very nice side to themselves um, as, as they do. So um, that family, were they um, in, in the UK or back in Pakistan? No, in the UK. They were in the, in the UK, UK. Huh? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, they have this kind of setup where like one brother in the family is like the elder like because they don't have they don't have parents so that person that brother was like the elder he made all the the decisions excuse me and he he was like the head and he whatever he said kind of went Mm -hmm. so but they presented that in a very nice way in a very respectful way um they didn't show it in the sense that he would eventually abuse that position of his um i'll go into a bit more into that sort of later on it will make sense what i'm saying so we kind of fell for their pressure and uh, we did things very quickly. Um, but like, and I had like these niggling feelings in my, in my head, like things were like popping out to me like, oh, this isn't right. This isn't right. But it's such a confusing time. It's very difficult um, because at that time as well, I was working full time. I was, you know, I was trying to, I was working full time. I was trying to juggle things. And on the side, I had all of this going on, like having an arranged marriage. And I can't say that I wasn't happy because I was happy because everything seemed so nice. But like my advice to a lot of people is follow your gut instinct. Don't just make do with things because they seem right. If there's something that is standing out to you that doesn't, that doesn't sort of equate to a good thing or it, it feels weird, question it don't feel you can't question it because they're going to think that you're a bad person or like your parents have raised you wrong or this and that, like speak up because if you don't speak up at that time, it just, it just gets too late. Did you have any early signs of that? I mean, 
what makes you say that that uh did you have anything to speak up against at that point um and you did um, to be honest i did feel like it was happening a bit too fast and i spoke up a f maybe once or twice but then i just kind of went with it because the pressure when i say it's, it's hard to explain the kind of pressure that we were put under by his family by my ex-in-laws because the pressure was real and like so, uh, uh, so from what i understand it's like the wedding dates and etc etc you know like we want it uh, we want it before this day and yes that kind of stuff yes yeah that yeah, yeah that yeah. kind of stuff oh this this is going to happen on this day and that's going to happen on this day and we're going to have this many people and um, this is our family and this is the standard that it has to be and to the point where like you know they were like oh you know uh, this is what the food has to be. This is the way she has to look. Like you know, we've got a standard to meet. We've got we've got family. We need to make an impression. And um, yeah, they they were quite full on basically. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. Um. So we got married. Um. Everything happened. It was good. It was fine. But to be honest, on the wedding day, did you kind of feel like? who's a stranger sitting next to me because because everything happened so fast we didn't really get time to actually have conversations that should be had before you have your nagar so it's very very important anyone who's going for an arranged marriage do it the right way do it the islamic way but have conversations such as your expectations of each other expectations in terms of uh, family life, children, living arrangements, financial arrangements, these things are very, very important um, to discuss. Yeah, and I think Islam encourages these kind of setting these um, like parameters and just expectations before before marriage. Um, yes. I think is a misconception that, you know, when an arranged marriage um, yeah. has to be, you know, like... Like you, you would expect parents and elders to do like know what you know what you want out of you know for for yourself for your career and match yeah. you with somebody with a similar sort of mindset. Um, but somewhere along the lines, it's kind of skewed. It's the idea of an arranged marriage is um, gone a bit skewed. But yeah, we can get yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that i have a lot to say about that as well actually in terms of elders and arranged marriage but yeah we'll go back to that um gosh i, I find it's hard sometimes to like um where was i so you so you were you said that you were sat next to um your husband and yeah like yeah it just yeah i was like what am i doing it kind of hit me a little bit then because you know it's your wedding day and there's loads of people you just kind of like in the hustle and bustle of it you get like distracted and you just enjoy your day and so everything was fine, I guess, on the day. It was a bit weird because we only spoke a few times beforehand. And um, again, I thought this is the right thing to do. Everything felt natural. Things were just happening in such a natural way. Um, so I went with it. Yeah. Yes. So we got married. Um, straight after we got married, um, obviously moved into their place, into their family home. And... Um, it kind of didn't really actually go that downhill until after the birth of our child. 
that's when our actual like relationship as a husband and wife that's when that started to go really downhill but like very early on in the marriage like because we didn't discuss those things like you know financial arrangements and working arrangements and this and that a lot of that got skewed and we had a lot of clashes about that um I mean I was working full time I was making myself um I was making my own way to work, you know, coming back myself and I was just exhausted and having to do, and they, um, afterwards, it was only afterwards that I found this and I realized that they're the type, like, doesn't matter if you're a woman and you're working, you still come home, you still cook, you still clean and you put the food in front of your husband and you have to make round roti and this and that. And, um, there was a lot of those expectations from me, um, straight after marriage Whereas before, they were very relaxed. Like, oh, it doesn't matter, you work. But um, I think they saw what they thought was, you know, there's, here's this British girl, we can just manipulate her and mould her into what we want. And they kind of just, yeah, they, they did manipulate me. They, they just presented such a nice sort of side to them that we were all taken. We were all very, very taken. So we had loads of like clashes um, in the beginning. And it was very, very hard because like a lot of girls do this, like the smallest of issues, like they go running to their parents. But I wasn't really like that. Like whatever I could deal with myself, I dealt with whatever I could communicate um, to him or his family if I needed to turn to his family, like I would. But that was all misconstrued by them. It was taken advantage of. I was sort of painted out to be a bad person because I kept making issues about small, small things such as having to cook. But adjusting to married life is difficult as it is. And then adjusting to married life um, to the way that someone else wants you to and there's no up and down, that's even more difficult is even more difficult and i think a lot of girls can relate to that would you say that's um that's a direct limitation of an arranged marriage um whereas if it was a love marriage you'd have you know various things to click on um and you'd sometimes look over the minor issues does that make sense um it, it makes sense but i think again it all falls down to what discussions you have previous to your arranged marriage um how long you take to get to know the person um so yeah i wouldn't say it's just in an like an i wouldn't say like having a love marriage is it, it would be different because people change it's like you only truly know someone when you live with them yeah so i i don't think i don't like i i can see where you're coming from <laughs> but i would say it can happen in love marriage as well definitely. i have a question um Maybe you touched on it, or maybe I missed it. But um, how did the arranged marriage come about? Did your parents find the guy, or um, we kind of knew them from before? Like my family knew my sorry, yeah, my family knew them as a family, but we were never sort of like the like we didn't know them in the sense that we would go around their house. We just knew them like they're another family that live within the area that we live in. Hmm. So. Um, yeah, it was like that. And then it was, yeah, we just kind of connected as families. 
And then okay. they approached they approached my mom, and then sort of talks went from there. So, would you say that your family and their family didn't know each other too well? No, until... they didn't. Okay. Do you think? Do you think maybe that was probably, or, or maybe even uh, a bit premature, the fact that your families didn't know each other well well enough? Because I think it's important that families really get to know one another yeah. especially for a daughter's family i'm a married man as well and i know that yeah. my my in-laws probed me and they probed me hard to find out what <laughs> i was like to find out what yeah. my family was like to find out whether their daughter would be safe or not um actually um we did as a family inquire about them we did we inquired um within the local area that we live in mm-hmm. um i know a lot of people um even in love marriage and arranged marriage, what they'll do is they will find out where they're from back home and sort of inquire there as well. Um, and I, I, do, I do agree with that actually because it just gives you an idea of what kind of family they're like. Um, I think a lot of British-born people, they don't understand that concept, but... Um, it is a very good idea. It is a very good idea to inquire about the family from back home because it's the, it, basically what I'm trying to say is like when a married couple has issues and it mm. gets it gets really bad, who do you turn to? You turn to your parents, and if your parents, you turn to your parents or your elders, and if your elders and his elders are on completely different pages. Mm-hmm. then that's not really going to help the situation. When you say inquire about the family back home, what do you mean? Um, just find out the type of people they are from back home. Um, what kind of setup they have as a family. Do they live in a joint family? Like, you know, have there been sort of any prior issues in their family? Don't worry about the wealth and, and the house and the land and this and that. Those things are very not important, <laughs> but more so How- as a family. How do you find out about their family back home? So usually, from what I understand is, generally people from particular areas will only marry from like a particular area. So say, for example, you're from Lahore. People try to, like, if you're having an arranged marriage, correct Mm. me if I'm wrong, but people will only look for someone who lives in Lahore and they'll start sort of inquiries um, like that. Yeah, like in the na- in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Yeah. On the, on the contrary, though, one must consider is, say in Pakistan, right? We know our community, so <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of families are jealous of other families for whatever reasons. It might be wealth, it might be yeah. how how you know say well off they are as a family, or you know how yeah. big the family is and stuff like that. So sometimes that information and that feedback can come skewed as well. Um, yeah, yeah you're right. Well, I think, yeah, sorry, on, carry on. Uh, I think there's a big, um, there's a, uh, there's there's an issue here. So, inquiring about families is all well and good, um, but I think the one thing that uh, we, uh, Pakistani families in particular, don't do when it comes to arranged marriages is look at the person, yeah, um, person and like, like. Uh, as an example, I was looking at this. Uh, uh, I was looking at this program, uh, and it was about arranged marriages amongst white white people. 
and it was actually quite successful. So arranged marriage, they say that is actually um, uh, the it was it was kind of neck and neck basically with um, love marriage, but it was a little bit more successful than a love marriage. In uh, but the way but the way they do it is they look at uh, is the guy or the girl. They're men- like mentally, are they like an introvert, extrovert? You know these kind of things. Um, yeah. Are they? Yeah. You know, like yeah. what are they? What are their personalities like, and these kind of things. So uh-huh. obviously, you look at the family. Uh, you don't want to be marrying into a family where one minute you're married, next minute you. It turns out there are some big dons in, you know, uh, uh, selling <laughs> drugs or whatever. Uh, um, or if that's what you want, that's what <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I, also, I would also say like. Sorry, man, go on. Uh, okay, cool. Um, I would also say, just to add on to that point, um, so like you'll see in a lot of families, right, they'll have um, they'll have a lot of backward views. They'll have a lot of, you know, yeah. um, they'll be very traditional and, you know, some of their views might not align with how the, at the rate which society is moving. So the guy himself or the girl herself, mm-hmm. they could be, they could be like... Um, they could be fine themselves right so they might see flaws in their family that they don't want to repeat so as a result of that the person himself is good so i guess you have to figure out as well do they want to live within that do do they want to live within that family when they're married or do they see themselves as an an, uh, independent home yeah um so I think the person you're di- the people that you're directly going to be living with I think that's the most important thing personally and then secondly mm-hmm. I think um then the family uh, thing comes around because I-, I know of a lot of I know of so many um cases where the family's very very good but the uh, guy or girl themselves they're not and on the contrary the guy or girl is very very good but the family is not yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's like those reforms, they they are uh, prevalent in many, many families. Um, yeah. So you have to look you have to look at it in a balanced way. Yeah. yeah. And continuing on from that point, um, like Arkib just mentioned, I think if you're getting married in this country, what the family are like back home is completely irrelevant because you're not marrying into the family back home, you're marrying into the family in this country. Um that's that's just my um personal personal opinion um and um and in my case as well if i'm using my own case um if you inquired about my family back home my family's yeah. kind of split um i'd say maybe 70% of my family is poor and 30% okay. isn't so you wouldn't get an accurate um an accurate judgment of yeah what my what my family is like and and to be honest i i would i i would also and i say say this to my wife my relatives and things like that don't reflect me like yeah. i don't ref, i don't reflect them either um, yeah that so, makes so, sense. I, so i think that's also important to consider just because you find out some information about a person's family it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you know everything um and also um i don't i don't i don't think it's I don't think it's accurate. I wouldn't even say it's fifty percent accurate. Um, yeah, but like for, for you know, for like for the elder people that are watching this, like for the older, um, you know, Asian people who are probably, probably watching this and like, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they um, that system yeah, but... of arranged matchmaking, the way the way Asians do it in in the UK, it worked back home, uh, and they had to do it that way because they did. Uh, they you know like. 
in the UK, we have like, you know, we have, we're out, we're, you know, it's a different environment, if you know what I mean. In Pakistan, um, I, I, I don't know about now, but before it was a, a, a little bit different where the female, like women wouldn't, would only leave the house occasionally. So they, they, they didn't have the chance to see someone or something like this. So this system of matchmaking where there would be like a rish, um, a Aliyanti, you know, uh, somewhere uh, that lived in the community, she would be the matchmaker and they would, uh, they would inquire about families and stuff. It worked for them in that environment. So um, it, it's not that it's, uh, it is bad, but well, I don't know if it's bad practice. It's, it's just not relevant to cu- current times and it's not relevant yeah. to us in this country. If yes, they have basically. a system where you would be expected to go back home, and sort of mingle with their family. In my case, it was that system. Um, they made it very clear that they had a system back home, and you know I'd be expected to regularly go regularly go back home with them to where they live. Then, then it, I would say it's relevant. Um, True. Which True. is why we did our research. Well, we tried to, and we did do our specific inquiries about um, him as well. So it wasn't just about his family. We did it here. Like we asked people here. and um, So they said to you, um, if you want to marry our son or if, if this is going to work, we expect you to go back home regularly. They didn't put it out like that. It was more like, oh, by the way, you know, this is our setup back home. And they just made it out very nicely, as you do. And I thought, oh, yeah, we, I could fit into that. Do, like, do you know what it is? Why, uh, the, the first thing that struck out to me as well, yeah, for me, females, um, especially daughters, are so precious. If anything, and I know that when I was getting married, if a girl's family made demands and had expectations, I would understand. But if I made demands and I had expectations, for me, that's a bit strange. That is, yeah. that is a little bit strange. Uh, not everyone thinks like that. They really don't. And like... My family, I just like to point out, my mum and dad are very supportive. They have been from day one. But I think my biggest mistake was I didn't talk to them. I didn't tell them what I was going through. Mm. Like mm. I didn't, you know, those typical things, oh, I don't want them to worry. Like, oh, no, no, I'm a grown woman. I should deal with this. So a lot of what I went through in the years of my marriage, let's just say, they didn't actually know. They didn't actually know. And going back to them sort of the back home thing like they it's really hard to explain but they just made themselves out to be such nice understanding people everything that they said it just seems so fair because of the way they were saying it like mm. they really like they must they, have been really good salespeople because they are <laughs> no i think one of the i think one of the early signs of spotting bad in-laws in-laws is probably um, either them making a lot of demands or them agreeing with you on everything because we know yeah. every we know every family has differences right and if they're just like you know yes men to everything um, that's straight away like look they're gonna take you in and they'll probably try and manipulate you into their way of yeah. doing things now um, so 
we we have to point that out as well because um Definitely. if 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 you look at a fair relationship right it's it's um it's equal both ways the husband and wife they'll have their differences or they have their expectations and they need to be laid out um and if one or the other is just agreeing to everything like yeah whatever you see goes kind of thing then that's probably yeah, a bad just... sign like yeah. also um stuck uh, sticking sticking to this point as well when they said the thing about going back home regularly is that is that what you wanted um, to be honest, again, with the way they presented it, it just seemed really good. It seemed really nice. I thought, oh, it would be a bit of a change. You know, boring UK life. You just work here. I didn't really mind it. But when I actually did go back home with them, it was a very different story. I think naturally, um, and, and I could be wrong, um, on, on things like Channel 4 and whatnot, we see a lot of documentaries about honour killings and, um, you know, yeah things like this happening back home especially girls that get married from here yeah Um, it was very scary like i wouldn't say my situation was that extreme when i got there and i was one thing i was adamant about was like if i'm going if you want me to go like if you the first time i'm gonna go i'm not going on my own i'm taking my parents yeah because i hadn't been back home in such a long time and yeah. the area that they live in, I've never been there. Even though it's very modern, it's very, like, you know, they had cleaners, cooks, everything, driver, a gardener, the name, you name it, they had. But it was a very strange, alien environment for me. So yeah. I did refuse to go on my own. I was like, no, nope, my parents are don't, going don't, too. Don't, don't get me wrong, there's obviously nothing wrong with going back home and stuff. But obviously, yeah. they're telling you before you got, before you got married, we expect you to go back home regularly. And I guess in a normal situation, or I guess most people would think, why do they want that? And, you know, how, how will their family treat me if I go there? I've heard about all of these bad things. Like, yeah. um, naturally, you'd worry, right? Um, again, at, at that point, it wasn't worrying. It's really hard to explain because I went, what I went through was an abusive marriage. The long and short of it is it was an abusive marriage. And when you're in that marriage, when you're young, when you're being manipulated because they see you as a young, naive girl, you do what you need to do to survive. You're in survival mode. Mm. And you you cope however you feel like you need to cope, especially when you're keeping everything to yourself. You're you're not telling anyone. So like right in the beginning when they were saying, like, oh, you know, you know, we will go back home regularly. Like, you know, it would be nice if you go to or like you have to go to. It was just, again, presented in such a nice way um, that it didn't seem anything off or anything unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just continue telling your story? I think we've been on this point for so long and then, yeah. then we, can ask, we can ask questions yeah. as you go on. Um. So going forward, um, got we, we obviously moved in together. Everything happened, was working. Um, um, everything went started to go downhill slowly. So we were expecting our first child. Um, and everything was discussed beforehand. Um, his sort of visa status, everything was discussed before. We, reassur- we were reassured even when we did our inquiries, even when we asked them directly that there was no sort of visa issue. But um, let's just say I stumbled stumbled across some stuff which told me otherwise. And sort of everything kind of unfolded from there. Hmm. So um, 
I just came across some stuff which sort of sort of proved to me that he'd had a court marriage in the UK. Yeah. So he'd had a he'd had a prior marriage. He was already married. Yes. Yes. Like with the nikah, or was it like no, 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 no nikah? It was like a. English kind of yeah a court marriage yeah yeah, civil marriage so that really shook me um that I did tell my family and say you know like you know obviously I kicked off about it and then sort of everything unfolded um they came clean that um he had married um just a couple of months before we had Anika um he had married someone for the purpose of obtaining stay in the UK and um, we didn't know that. We very really common, very common. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't know that. And it was a very difficult time because I was expecting at that time. Um, I was working. How did that, that how did that affect you? So obviously this guy, this person is not, um, he's not actually Truthful. married. Like he's not, he's not like seeing somebody else. Um, but he is on paper. Also, yeah also another question um that you can answer with Gar's question as well um did did he did he have his parents in the uk or was it someone else arranged this on his behalf because surely if he someone is in visa status then i can't imagine he has any parents in the uk no so it was someone else who kind of did it for him um not his not his parents or anything like mm-hmm. that um so yeah it was someone else who did it for him but obviously he agreed to it <laughs> and he, he wasn't a child when it was sort of um, discussed or when when it was being planned or whatever. So it was done by someone else. And to say it was the biggest shock of my life is like an understatement. Like it really knocked me for six. Yeah, of course. (laughs) When you're expecting and you're working full time, you're just exhausted all the time is all I can say. I'm sure um, the other brothers can understand if they've got children themselves. They've seen their wives, the states that they get into. It's such a big mental, emotional change. Um, it is, yeah. So, sister, if you don't Very mind me asking, um, when you were going through the marriage process, typically what would happen is, um, uh, in my scenario, my, my parents spoke to the girl's parents um, and the families basically communicated because his parents weren't here. How did you guys kind of um, communicate? Um, how did the families communicate? Because you've got your parents. Who did they communicate yeah. with? So they have a setup where they have like an elder in their family and he's like the head of the family. So okay. it was elder him. as in back home? Here. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like a, so tri- he, like a tribal thing. They do. Um, actually, it's his brother. It's his brother who we communicated with. Um, okay. And is his brother his only family in the UK at, at that time? Um, he had um, another brother as well here at the time. But the one that we sort of communicated with the most, the one who we talked to and everything, it was it was just the one brother mainly because he's like the head of the family. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Was... okay. 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 Yeah. Because so... because typically what happens obviously is 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 when you when you even have an arranged marriage, whether it's love or or arranged, um, there's always communication typically between between the families and the parents and stuff like that yeah so it's my parents and his his brother basically and his brother is married he's got a wife he's he's got children as well Hmm. so it was him and my 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 family basically my parents who 
you know, they talked about the ins and outs. My family, you know, they did say, you know, this is our expectation. This is, that's our expectation. At the time, it was like, yeah, yeah, we agree, we agree. From their part, they were agreeing to everything, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was his brother. Not say, would you not say that your family kind of gave you away, like, too easily? I know it sounds bad, but... I don't they... know, like, because... Like, we're a very small family, and I guess we were very inexperienced and very naive. And, um, you know what? You're, uh, you, I see a lot of families who are not like obviously they don't have the intention of doing like they're not geared towards these bad things, so they don't exactly. expect other people to be like that. But, yeah, yeah that's have, what I mean yeah. in terms of naivety. Like, my parents just see the good in everyone, basically, and they, they don't ever like. Like, when it comes to your parents, like, I think some people in society, even us, we forget that they're humans too and that they can make mistakes too. So, I don't know. I wouldn't say they gave me away easy. They did. They just, along with me, they just felt like everything was going in such a good direction. They, The the ex-in-laws, ex-husband, they just made themselves out to be such nice people. And, um, I, I, I guess the way that I see it is that if I had a daughter or even if I, well, I do have sisters. I've got four sisters, yeah. alhamdulillah. But um, uh, three of them are younger. One of them, um, alhamdulillah, is married. Um, if, if my younger sister, for example, were to get married, I would want her to get married um, within a family structure where there's parents because I'm giving you my sister. Yeah, that's so and important. I, and I want my sister to be adopting uh parents in a way to take care of her yeah uh, i know i know that you know wagara's got a daughter so if he were to give away his daughter he would probably want the same thing for her of course <laughs> of course but i guess it doesn't like, always work like that like yeah. it's not easy to find spouses anyway in this day and age we'll get into that as well we'll get into that if we have time going back to so I I, I came across some stuff which told me very clearly that he had a current like he was still in that court marriage in that civil marriage and literally as you can imagine my world just fell apart questioned questioned him about it questioned his family about it questioned his brother about it they came clean that it was for that purpose and um, they didn't tell us because of X, Y, Z reason. They were scared that they were going to lose out on a good family. They were scared they were going to lose out on a good, on a good girl. Um, and at that point, like, I'd been through a lot running up to those few, to, to, uh, running up to that moment. Like, I, I had a Pakistan trip just before that, and it was absolute hell. Even with my parents there, it was absolute hell. And... Um, so my, my world was turning upside down as it is. And then to find that out, mm. like, it was very tough. It was yeah. very, very tough. Like, How did your uh, ex-husband react to that, react to you finding out? He was literally shocked. He didn't think that I would ever stumble across anything that would um, out him, basically, because his plan and his family's plan was to quietly, behind my back, divorce the other lady. Oh... Yeah, so, so if they were had, just if gonna had, do that. If you had come clean before you got you guys got married, if they said, "Look, this is an arrangement that we've made," but um, now that you know it's changed a little bit, 
you know, my, my, my son's getting married to you. Um, would you have overlooked it? Or would, no. that have, would that have been a showstopper? No, that would have been the showstopper, definitely. Like, I wouldn't, my parents would okay. never compromise on that. I would never compromise on that. It's just because that just goes like, what, what are the intentions of state? Why is it when you're saying when like them as a family, they were saying, we've got this amazing setup back home. Like, why is they so desperate to settle here then? Yeah. I mean, like, for me personally, it would be like, how can you jeopardize your um, religion? Your, uh, what's the word? Like your, uh, okay, what's the word, man? Like honor. If you know what I mean, mm. like how can you? Because you're essentially you're marrying somebody else, which is and not you're not doing a nikah, so it's not Islamic. Yeah. So it's like it, it's that's that's for me that's just like no go. That's like drinking alcohol basically. Um, and then just for the purposes of what staying in the UK. So what are your intentions? Exactly. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not. But how you, did he try and excuse it? Wait. <laughs> um. He, they did apologize. They did apologize, I guess. Um, but they just had such a way of words. They're very clever people with their words. They just kind of, and at that point, yeah, I was so yeah, basically manipulative. Yeah, very manipulative. Um, very, very manipulative. And at that point, I was such a scared young girl, expecting the thought of like being divorced and like a few months pregnant was just the most terrifying thing for me. Mm. So you compromise. I compromised. I did what I had to do. Um, and yeah, you're just in survival mode, really. That's the only way I can explain it. Yeah. But obviously, it was a very, very big thing. Uh, one big point that I'd like to make right here is that a lot of people don't know this, but when you have your, when you go to the mosque and say, you know, um, I want, I want to have my nikah. It is at that point that the mosque officials should be asking for your civil ceremony certificate. They should not be um, accepting to do a nikah or booking you in their booking form to do a nikah if you have not had a civil ceremony. That is official. That is the proper way of doing things. You have to have your civil ceremony first, then you have your nikah. I think it's a little bit different now, isn't it? So I got and married in 20... Okay, when did I get married? You must, you must have got married in 2016, man, because I got married in 2017. All oh, right, because when, when, when they done my nikah, yeah, it was like, it was, it, was, um, it was all in one. So like they done my nikah, then I had to go and sign the civil stuff and all that. That's probably because the mosque you had your nikah or the imam, they're trusted. Yeah, yeah, they are, they are. They were, where yeah. I live, um, I put it in the messages that I sent you guys, where I live, the mosque is basically not trustworthy. I went to the, um, I, I, I've been to quite a few places. I even went to the civil ceremony registrar, the head registrar, and I spoke to her and I told her about everything. And she was saying that it's so interesting that I'd gone to see her because they were just looking into allowing the mosque to do how to do nikahs the way you had yours so two in one yeah no the what um the mosque that i done it with they um before we got married uh, you know when we when you talk with the imams and you you know all that stuff yeah um 
they, they, they let us know that they are, they can legally uh, issue, do that, basically. They're allowed That's to good. sign that, yeah. A civil so ceremony, in, are we referring yeah. to like an actual legal marriage in the UK? Yeah, Is that what we're yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I still haven't got one of those done, by the way. I just got a car done. You sh- okay? <laughs> no, AJ. I think you have because if you no 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 I haven't. I've just got in the garden. No, bro. I've got, listen, I've got I've got. Trust me, man. I've got an Islamic certificate. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't. But we're not like legally married. So, um, uh, from so from, you're paying more tax. That means yeah, yeah I'm paying more tax. But to be honest, <laughs> the, the tax the tax relief is not that significant anyway. So, yeah, okay. Um, I would suggest get a. Um, okay and, and, no, 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 and plus no, no, there's no, no, a certain no, no. criteria for that my, my wife is working as well um, you guys have said um you you're basically alluding to the importance of it but you haven't stated why so i want to know why as well because i'm unmarried and i want to know these why things. what why you should uh, have a zero ceremony yeah there's no so your nikah is not recognized in the uk as a valid marriage i don't think that's true no it's, it's aj it's true you're it's literally true. i think you'd have to um You'd have to cut that bit out that AJ said because that legally, I think, it implicates you. What What do you mean, AJ? If I'm, you're not I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Maybe I'm not understanding what you're trying to say here. So you don't have a civil. Um, hang on a second. When your you wife... bought your house, when you bought your house, didn't they combine your salaries? What are you talking about? Don't you know how to buy a house? <laughs> Yeah, no, you, no, 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 no. When, you, when you bought <laughs> your right. house, they had to look at your salary, your income, and your wife's income, right? Yeah, correct. You know, people can buy a house together even if they're not married. Yeah, but are it's, you showing as partners? So, 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 yeah, so we're so showing as partners or cohabiting, but Islamically, we're married. Yeah, does that make sense? Are you with me? That yeah. does make sense, but oh man, so okay, Islamically, this, this Islamically, Islamically, we're this. married legally. We're not married. Yeah. Okay. Okay, <laughs> basically, my my well, from mm. what I know, is you do have to have a civil ceremony for you to be recognized as a married couple living in the UK. Um, God forbid, with anyone, if anything goes wrong, then just a nigar is not enough for you to, you know, God forbid, with anyone, like if it goes down the route of divorce, it's not enough for you to be recognized as a married couple and you wouldn't get like equal amount in property and this and that and the other am i making sense yeah so you do need to have um a civil ceremony what the mosques should be doing all of the mosques not just the good mosques um they should be turning people away when they come and they haven't had a civil ceremony they should be saying to them come back to us with a marriage with a civil ceremony certificate then we will book you to have you on a guard done but in my case, that wasn't done because um, this will make sense a bit later on. The imam that they bought, um, he was in on everything. He knew everything beforehand. He knew that uh, my ex-husband had married for uh, oh, visa purposes before. Right now, it makes sense to me. Yeah, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to wives in the UK. Which yeah. Is what, right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Didn't didn't what? you listen to my voice notes that I sent in the group telling you guys off the context? I, did, uh, <laughs> I must have missed that one. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That uh, makes. But that it's good. Sense. You mentioned. Yeah. 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 So. so uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, um, it's good you mention it because that's the scruff of, uh, you know, well, I'd say it's the primary point of yes. this, you know, you, yes, you coming is. out as well because um, the thing about fake nikah. Um, yes. Do you, yeah, do you want to elaborate on that? Um, so, am I making sense so far? Is it okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. So, um, yeah, I found out that he'd been, he had... He was in a marriage. Um, everything went to pot. We tried to sort of um, resolve matters. They reassured us that it would be resolved. Um, so we kind of left them to it. And I just didn't have it in me mentally to be constantly asking, like, you know, what's happening now? What's happening now? Um, I was very, like, I was, I was like, I don't know, it's really hard to explain. I was just really naive and they were really, like they put me through so much, like mentally I was finished. I was completely finished because another big thing that happened was like in his family, like um, children, it's really difficult this conversation, but I'm going to say it because it's very important for young girls to know this because you do come across people like this. In, in their family, like, Basically, children are a burden. That's the easiest way to explain their thinking. The men in their family, like, it makes me sick to my stomach to say this, but they just think that children are a burden and that men in the family, you know, they take a step back. Um, when children are born, they don't do certain things. They don't change nappies. They don't feed the child. They don't take the child out. And that's very different to the picture they showed us in the beginning. They were very kind and loving towards their children when we were around them as a family because we did interact as families. We went round, they came round. And that happened quite a few times, um, despite the fact that everything happened quickly. So when I sort of found out that I was expecting, I was told that I, I wouldn't be keeping the child. And sorry. I wasn't... What? Sorry, what was that? You wouldn't be... Uh, yeah, you... I was told that I wouldn't be keeping the child that, and that I would need to get rid of the child because they weren't ready. He wasn't ready to have a child. So my mental state was very, very fragile. <laughs> very fragile. Very, yeah. very fragile. Like, it was just disgusting and horrible. That's all I can say on their part. That, yeah, it yeah, was very, this, very hard. This goes back to that conversation about asking these questions before getting married asking yeah. about kids but regardless uh, like that is not like regardless of whether you have that conversation or not that you can't expect that from anyone yeah especially as uh, muslims like, i mean we, that's exactly. just not even a question for us exactly yeah. i know there's a big you know discussion now um in the uk in like a big political discussion whether women should be allowed uh, like how how long in in their pregnancy can can women uh, be allowed to get rid of children and there's like all these different moral issues you know when you know like it's some some people call it murder and stuff and for yeah. us for muslims it's definitely not allowed so no if you happen to um you know if you happen to uh be having a child and your in-law was it your husband or yes it... yes so so yeah i mean yeah that that's how can a... how i just it's just not justifiable in any sense yeah. to expect a woman to do that and obviously 
I did tell, this is another thing that I did tell my parents and they were just, they were shattered. They were broken hearted. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's just low. Um, I think you've painted a, a, a quite a clear picture of um, what this person was like. I mean, for the, I've got, a, I've got a daughter. She's, she's, um, she's going to be three. Um, and as a father, I could never imagine um, my daughter being a burden, even on the days where, you know, she stayed awake and stuff. And, you know, she's, it's like, you know, sometimes I'm trying to do my work and she's uh, making noise and all these different things. And she, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes, but I would never, ever, ever think that she's any kind of burden on me. Um, Surely if you think um, a child's a burden, then at one stage in, in your life, you were a burden as well because everyone exactly. was once a child. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, like uh, for, do- for, for girl, if you have a girl, if you have like a girl, she's more of a burden because they look at like, they don't just look at um, bringing that girl up. They look at in the future, you're going to have to give her away anyway. So it's not like yeah, she's an asset. Exactly. It's not like she can bring anything into uh, any kind of wealth. It's just a weird, like, yeah, it's a weird way. Um, that's exactly the mentality they had. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's weird. At, and at I, that point, is that when you realised that you need to get out of this marriage or did you try and um, try and, you know, um, again, um, I, I was in survival mode, man. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't, like, how am I going to cope? Like, my child's not even born yet. I don't want to, like, I don't want to be a divorced, yeah. um, a young divorcee. Like, how am I going to raise a child on my own? And nothing, like, something like this has never happened in our family. Like, my family, like, I have all these memories of my dad, like, Every summer we would be at the beach, we'd be, we'd be at the park. Like my dad did so much for us and he still does. He's so active in our lives. Like when, like we'll come home from work. Um, I come from a working family. My mom is a very successful businesswoman. Um, my dad's got his own job. Um, they're very supportive of each other. Like say for example, my dad's home early from um, work. We'll all come home and food will be cooked, the house will be clean. Like, there's never, in our family, it's never been like, oh, because you guys, because you're females, you have to cook. Whereas in their family, it's like men don't go in the kitchen. They only go in the kitchen to eat. The men sit down and eat first. The women eat afterwards. Like, you know, you know, it's sunnah for, um, for a husband to help his wife with with duty such as cooking and cleaning and things like that yes i'm yeah my, my, it is my it wife is, always but... pulls that one up <laughs> yeah, just, she's yeah but, she's but, in but me me personally i help my wife with everything would you change nappies would i change nappies bro i've yeah. changed nappies before man i've got like seven younger siblings I would do absolutely everything else but nappies i just can't do it man <laughs> trust me That's when hard. it comes to your own it just changes. Everything is tolerable. Trust me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more that, trained. Five years from now. I'm, I'm more trained than my wife at all this stuff, man, because she's, oh, uh, she's, 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 the, she's the youngest um, child oh, um, yeah. in her family, whereas me, I've 
been around babies pretty much my whole life so i yeah. know i know how to do this stuff um i now have two nephews two nieces i have my own child so even before i had my own child i was pretty much trained with children like i love children who doesn't love children um, th- yeah and i think uh, like for a for a dad it's before you like when before you ch- when your wife is pregnant um for me it was personally it was like okay i need to uh, find means of like more income. I need to elevate, you know, kind of thing. And yeah. my wife was immediately was in that, like in that zone where she's like, okay, so she's, she's gonna, you know, our daughter's gonna need this, that, you know, she was like planning like a year in advance. That was her so, like, kind of thing. And yeah, let me give yeah. you an example of what him and his family were like. So, um, Alhamdulillah had a very good job. Um, so just going back a little bit, eventually, um, it's very controversial of me saying this, but I don't really know how else to put it. I convinced him that we should can, like keep this child. My parents stepped in, um, in in a lot of ways. They stepped in. They, they spoke to his his elders, his his brother. Sorry, they spoke to his brother and said, "Look, this is morally wrong." And I was like, every other day, I would hear like, "Oh, I spoke to this imam, and he said it's fine." I spoke to that imam and he said, it's fine. And I, when I would clap back with, okay, take me with you to this imam. I want to speak to the imam. When you're speaking to him in the same room, I want to have the conversation. Oh, no, no, no. Um, he doesn't have time. So they tried really hard to like brainwash me mm. into like agreeing to this. But obviously, I, I could never, ever, ever agree to anything like that. So eventually I convinced him that we should keep this child. And I just went full force into my working life and my home life. Like, it's really like, even my family, when they look back, they were like, you just kind of disappeared for a couple of months. Like, we didn't see you. Like, where were you? And um, so, yeah, I just, I just, I was just in this bubble and um, I didn't used to see my family. Like, I would go to work in the morning, drive myself like 40 minutes, 40 minute drive there and back come home, cook clean, do this, do that, and look after the house. I just kind of disappeared. And I, I remember back um, when I was working, my work people, they gifted me loads of things. And um, so I had them in the boot of my car. And um, my ex-brother-in-law, he needed to borrow my car. And um, I remember he opened the boot and like they bought me so many things because they're just so amazing. I'll always remember my old workplace. Um, they bought me like a, um, you know, the tub that you bathe the, the baby in. I had all of the essentials that I need and I had a baby bag. I had everything I needed. And he was like, why do you need this? Why do you need a baby bag? You could just put the stuff in, in like any bag. And I was like, um, <laughs> how do I explain to you? Like, and then I remember another example. Um, I was like, we need to go pushchair shopping, which is a basic necessity in my eyes for a child. Like, you don't have to spend thousands of pounds, but you do need a pushchair to get around, to get one. yourself out. Exactly, yeah. safety reasons. And his brother's words were, you can just carry the child where you need it. You don't need to waste money on a pushchair. Um, no, because uh, you know pushchairs, it comes with the car seat, doesn't it? And with all yeah. the safety features um, and stuff. And when I you go to the just, hospital, you have to have that car seat. Yeah, I exactly. actually know Asian Asian families who like borrow it because obviously legally in, in the UK, you have 
and they have to show, you have to show them that it works yeah. properly. But in my eyes, in, from the setup of my family, my friends, any normal human being, this is just basic stuff. Like if you can't buy your child this kind of stuff, like it just—I don't know. Like it's just really weird. Yeah. But still, I just took everything. I was like, fine, I'll buy it myself. Um, I'll, I'll get this stuff myself. I'll get that myself. Like I just went with it. I was in survival mode. Um, then a lot happened in the marriage. Our marriage, as I said before, it got worse after we had it. After she was born, actually, after our daughter was born, in that we were clashing more. Um, it was that typical thing of oh, you you spend more time with the with the baby than me, and yet, like he wasn't active in helping me with the baby. So things got really really bad, and in their family, from what I've seen as a setup, like once they see that the girl or the girl's family is of not is not of their standard or like they can see that we're not going to bow down to them or my family's not going to bow down to them. Then they start doing stuff, creating issues and stuff that, that they basically created issues, did loads of horrible things that would cut me off from my family. So like I would want to like just go and visit my parents with the baby and like a huge issue, a huge issue would be made. Like, Oh, you're always at your mom and dad's. Like you shouldn't, yeah, those typical, typical things. Yeah. And yet, um, believe it or not, after the birth of our child, um, I needed a lot of help physically, as you can imagine. Um, I went through a very tough time. Like I needed my mom and it was out of no choice that I went to stay with my mom because I was in a really bad state mentally and physically. So I went there and, um, I was there for about two weeks and in that two weeks he came over my ex-husband to see our baby our newborn baby he came like twice wow. he came over like twice oh, oh we don't go to our in-laws houses like we don't go to we don't you know we don't unnecessarily go to our in-laws houses and like I remember like I would ring him like you know come round like I need you like I need this for the, for the baby I need that for the baby like and um he would pull up outside and I would have to go and get into the car and like go from there then he would drop me back outside and I would have to like go back in yeah and it's very like these things are very very extreme but when you're in it it's very normal for you and that's the sign of an abused woman Mm. it's it's a big sign of an abused woman and i was i was abused in many ways like a lot of women um women and women muslim women they need so much education about abuse they need it because there's so many different types and i did seek the help i i did seek the help i had a counselor afterwards i did like a 11 week course um where I, I learned about the different forms of abuse and to say that it was refreshing is an un- understatement. Everything that I went through just fell into place for me. It just made so much sense. Hmm. I'll come on to the counseling course because I've got it on yeah. my note here. Um, okay. Prior to that, I wanted, uh, I just want to roll it back to the fake Nikar thing because that's, okay. that's a major issue. And I, I want you to talk about, okay. so obviously you mentioned, um, 
there was a point obviously where you wanted to just come out of that marriage and um, you wanted to obviously get a khula so at what basic, point yeah did you realize that this nikah potentially didn't okay i think it's back there we go okay yeah okay. Yeah, good that's still recording because i don't know i don't know what happened there my internet <laughs> yeah yeah no we stopped we stopped as soon as um did you get my the... question though um repeat it uh, in, uh, I want to know what until what point um, did you yeah. hear me? Did you hear? Oh, you were you were asking um, at one point. At what point did I find out about the fake nikah? Is that what yeah. you asked? Okay. Um, so a, a lot happened in the marriage. Um, I keep saying the same thing. Sorry. Shall I? Um, shall I repeat so, the so, question? Yeah. So to the point where you wanted basically, to get a kula, basically. So. Um, yeah. Basically, one day, everything just kind of um, fell apart, basically. Like, um, I got home with my daughter. I'd been, um, I'd been out for the day, and um, I got home. And um, I got home with our daughter, and all of his stuff had gone. Literally, mm-hmm. like, the cupboards were empty where his clothes were. And um, there were a few things that happened in the running up to that. But um, that relates to them making issues um, to disconnect me from my family, which I refused to do because the issues that were making were really invalid. Like, just I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. Like, I would be expected to bend over backwards for his family, but he wasn't willing to even step up for my family. Um, they they had um, a few sisters here like their blood sisters who lived here and they were treated very differently. Like I remember when one of his sisters gave birth, they bought her like, they bought her a brand new push chair. They bought all of the stuff that the baby would need. And yet when it came to me and my time, it was like, Oh, why do you need this? Why do you need that? And they would just make silly, silly issues. Like, Oh, your parents didn't come to our house on Eid. Your parents didn't. Yeah. You know, those silly kind of, small small issues and everything just kind of built up and then one day I came home and all of his stuff was gone he'd packed his bags and he'd left basically right okay yeah and it was it was crazy it was just really crazy because I didn't think that he would ever do that because we spent a good few years together our daughter was of an understandable age where she recognized her father and her mother and so she was at that age where she would come home and expect him to be home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got home and all of his stuff was gone. And um, um, I remember ringing my mom and I was like, oh, you know, um, I don't know what to do. Um, no, I rang him first and I, I, I rang him first. He didn't answer. And then I rang my mom and I was like, look, I've come home. All of his stuff is gone. Like, what do I do? And obviously my family came over. They're like, what's happened? Is that the other? And um, um, I rang him again and he answered and he said, oh, I've made the decision um, to leave you and I'm going to live with my brother from now on. Those were his exact words. And I was like, but why? And why are you doing this to your daughter? I was like, I know we have our differences, but what fault of this is hers? Like, you can't do this to her. 
no, I've spoken to my brother. This is the decision that I've made. You can't change it for me. Don't contact me. And um, I don't want to hear from you. And um, this, that, and the other. So obviously everything in my world began to fall to pieces again. Didn't really know what to do. Um, so I didn't want to stay. Um, uh, by the way, at that point, we were living separately. We had our own place. Um, so my parents were like, you know what, come home with us. You know, it's not right that you stay alone in this place. Um, just you and your little one. So come over, like, you know, have something to eat, rest. We'll talk about things. Then we got, I got to my parents' house. Like, we spoke to his family. They were like, no, he's not coming back. Uh, we want our brother back. He's going to live with us. Our brother this, our brother that. You guys don't respect us. You guys have been talking about us to other people. Like, really ridiculous accusations is all I can say. And um, so we just went with it. And then something in me clicked within a day or two. I don't know what it was, but I was like, right, that's it. If he can take that step of leaving his innocent child for the sake of his brother, then why should I stay quiet? I told my parents everything. I told them the way that I was financially abused by him. Like I would pay probably 90% of the rent, the rent, anything that was needed for the house, I would be going out to buy it. Like I remember I was like maybe six months pregnant and the Hoover had broken and um, pestered him, pestered him, pestered him. We need a Hoover, we need a Hoover, we need a Hoover. Didn't bother. So I went and grabbed one. And where we live, there's no lift and we live on the second floor. And I remember being like six months pregnant and carrying this massive box upstairs. And I thought, you know what, like, what is my life? But again, when you're in it, you're just living it. You don't see anything different and it's so normal. Um, so eventually I told my parents everything and they were devastated that I didn't tell them sooner. But um, one thing that I would, um, I'm 100% sure of this. Had I told my parents about all the stuff that I was going through, the marriage wouldn't have even lasted the years that it did. Like they, everything that I told them and they discussed with the older brother and my ex-in-laws, they made it into an ego issue. Mm. Like it bruised their ego that my parents knew all of this. And that's when things started to go even more wrong. They started to get worse. And um, I remember like a week or two into it, like I would pop home to like grab stuff. And I would I noticed that like um, stuff was missing from my place, from this, from the place that we were renting. And like, if it was significant stuff, then I would like make an issue out of it. But this this man would come back to our home when I wasn't at home and pick up his, his duvet. He came back for his duvet and his pillow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, so and petty, then really petty, really petty. I came home one day and like, um, everything in my flat, like I, obviously you shut the windows, you shut the balcony door, you do this, I came home one day after a couple of days and my, my flat stank of cigarettes. Oh. The bath, the bathroom was a mess. 
and in, in mess, I'm sure you can understand what I'm trying to say. It, everything was just left in the bathroom and it stank of cigarettes. And that's when I sort of started to feel really unsafe. Like, what if I'm at home and I'm sleeping one day with my daughter and like someone gets in? So I contacted the people that we rent with and um, they changed the locks for me. And um, they were like, you know, we understand your situation. You know, you split up with him. He's left you. Let's let's take this action to make you feel safer. And this they took as an ego issue. She changed the locks. She didn't want him to come back. Oh, I see. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. To this day, this is what they bring forward out of everything. And it's just like, seriously, again, that goes to show the type of mentality they had. So going forward, I don't know, I can't think of the exact timeline now, but it must have been like a month and a half, two months in. I was, you know, I was praying my namaz. I was asking Allah for guidance. I was reading my istikhara and I had a very specific indication on what to do. And I knew that I wanted to get out of this marriage. I spoke to my parents. They were very supportive. Um, even during those two months, they were literally there with me, next to me, by my side, like every living second of the day, basically. And um, I made a decision to take a um, to apply for a divorce, basically. So when he left, he took all of his paperwork, and um, he took his paperwork, and he took my paperwork too. So all my previous bank statements, um, any letters that I had, all of my work, uh, pay slips, um, everything, he basically picked it up and he took it. Obviously within those paperwork, within that paperwork was our Nikanama. So I specifically remember that he had his copy and I had my copy and it was all there in the paperwork. Obviously he took it, so I didn't have a copy of my Nikanama. So, obviously, the natural thing to do is go to the mosque to get a copy of Yonagarnama. So, I rang the local mosque and um, I, I asked them for a copy of it. And um, they were like, oh, can you email us? And I was like, sure. So, this is my name. This is his name. This is my address. This is where we're living now. All the details that they needed. And he, what happens is, he said that, oh, when they came in, they must have filled out a booking form because what you do is you fill out a booking form um, and then after that, there's another stage where we fill out the Nikanama. Mm -hmm. So he said he thoroughly, he looked through the, the booking form thoroughly and he couldn't find anything with my name on it or my ex-husband's name on it, which was very baffling to me. I was like, oh. but it was, um, I think we, we've agreed not to take any names but it's gonna come out of my mouth <laughs> like that mom's name and stuff so I will try my best not to but I was like looking mom did my nikah like surely like it, it's in there like he was like no it's not in here why don't you go to the imam directly and um, after he told me that like his tone changed he was like really like dismissive of me trying to like push me away trying to like very like short tempered oh no I can't find it I've had a look like you know kind of he gave me the attitude like why do you keep pestering me kind of thing mm -hmm. and um, so I was like okay fine went back to my parents we discussed it and they were like okay it's not an issue 
um, the imam, he's known us for a very long time. We can just go to his house and, um, yeah, we can just go to his house and ask him for a copy. So um, we went to his house eventually and I asked him for a copy of my Nama and I knew, like I went and I said to him, look, you did my nikah, um, can I please have a copy of my Nama? The long and short of it is that. And he was like, oh, but what's happened? Like, tell me what's happened, you know, what's happened, what's happened? And I was like, look, I'm not here to discuss my marriage with you. I just want to know what's happened. But basically he knew that he'd left me, like he gave it away that he knew what had happened kind of thing. Um, so he was like, oh, yeah, I think I gave, um, I think I gave your, um, your ex-brother-in-law all the copies basically making loads of excuses um but give me a few weeks and um i'll find out and i'll get back to you and this and that okay we left it to him then we contacted him again and um he was like but this time i want to know what's happened oh no sorry um it was in that first meeting that i did we did eventually tell him that look this is what's happened he got up and he left and he said that he's saying that he's left for his brother's sake and he doesn't want to continue the marriage. And um, the imam was basically like, oh, I'll speak to your ex-husband. This is not right, blah, blah, blah. But when we went back for a second meeting, he didn't speak to my ex-husband. He spoke to my ex-brother-in-law. So that was really fishy in my mind. Like, I'm not married to the brother. I'm married to... I'm married to the ex, to the guy, like to the other guy. Like, why did you talk to him? And um, basically, the, the the excuses continued. Oh, I can't find the booking form. Oh, the Nikanama register is with another imam. He's on holiday. Uh, when he comes back from Pakistan, um, he's gone to Pakistan for his daughter's wedding. When he comes back, I'll ask him for it. Basically, kept dragging it, dragging it, dragging it. Um, fast forward a couple of weeks we went to see him again and he was like oh I've got your nikah for you I've got your nikah papers for you and I was like okay and he gave me a copy of my um, English marriage certificate so he basically gave me a copy of the court marriage because eventually we did have our court marriage we had it quite a bit later but we did have it so he gives me a copy of that and I just looked at it like, I was like, this is not a copy of my Nikanama. Like, what are you talking about? And um, the Nikana, the sorry, our, our civil ceremony we had when our daughter was born. She was born at that time and she was very much present. So for him to say that I had my Nikana, my court marriage, he, for him to say that my court marriage was my Nikanama, I was like, but you know my daughter was she was born at that time like what are you trying to say that I had a I had a child outside of wedlock like it just didn't make sense sense to me what he was saying like he basically accused me of having a child so so just to um clarify you're trying to so with the civil uh with the um with the English one the civil one you can uh you can go through the court system right um, no, to get your civil ceremony certificate, all you have no, to no, do. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you want to dissolve a marriage. Or oh divorce. yeah, yeah, yeah. You go through the English courts. So, so, so you can do yeah. that. But what yeah. what you're saying is, uh, you didn't have the nikah so you couldn't yes. actually do the 
Khula. She could, she could Khula. Yeah, Khula, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah, I wanted a copy of my Khula because what they were also doing um, during the time that he left, they were spreading rumors about me that I had, I had done silly stuff. Um, so I needed that as proof in case they further accused me of any more allegations. Like, it was just really an easy and uneasy time. Like, they went to the extent of, like, his his brother went to the extent of turning up at my neighbor's house and, um, like, telling my neighbor that I was such a bad girl and I didn't do this for my husband and I didn't do that for my husband. They pretty much rang all of our extended family members and just painted such a horrible picture of me and spread really, really horrible rumors about me. So for me, to have my Nikanama was like my safety net. Mm-hmm. And from what I understood at that point, I needed it to apply for Okola. So, okay. yeah. So basically, um, eventually, um, he outright in front of my parents said, that you had your nikah after your daughter was born and like literally as you can imagine like my face just dropped I was like what are you saying like how can you even accuse me of that I was like I have the pictures I have the video of you reading my nikah oh so hang on who said this to you the imam the imam yes whoa so um was this a different imam from the one that done your nikah no, it was the same one. And he? Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> see, okay. logically, it's not making sense, but I know that I went to see the imam after he messaged me. He, he messaged me and said, come to my house at 7 o'clock. And right, I went okay, there with my parents. Right, okay. I went there with my parents, and he said, he said to me that I've got your nikanama. But what, he, what does he get out of it? I'll come to that in a second. Okay. Uh, yeah, it will, it will all follow through. So basically, he gave me a copy of my, of my civil ceremony. And uh, he was like, that's your Naganama. I was like, this is not my Naganama. Like, what are you trying to say? And um, after that, he, what happened? After that, it was just an ongoing fight, really. He basically refused to give me a, a copy of my actual Naganama. And that's because he didn't do it through the mosque. Mm. he done it using an independent made-up nikah register. Right, okay. Yeah, he did it using that. He didn't use the official mosque one. But, but why? So, from what I understand and the pieces that I've gathered and my family's gathered, because the ex-husband had a civil ceremony before, it was just to cover all of that up. So they changed the date of my nikah in line with um, our court marriage. Yeah, I, I imagine oh, it would have had some implications on um, his visa and his visa yeah. applications yeah. and things like that. And that's yeah. where the discrepancy in the dates he would have, you know, um, got uh, sought out from, from this imam. So maybe the imam was involved in it. He was involved. I have no doubt in my mind that he was paid some sort of price to be a part of this. Um, and when did you get married? As in, not nikah, but the actual... Did you, did you have your nikah on the event 
like on stage or how, yeah how? we yeah yeah I had it okay. in the actual marriage hall in front of like 250 people so Monica is Monica was valid there's no question about that so people can vouch people can oh yeah yeah I've, yeah I, I did send you the pictures of yeah, yeah I was just about to say that I was just about to say yeah. that that before um the audience you know get some uh <laughs> they're just yeah, thinking yeah. that we listen to one side of the story that's not the case because we've seen <laughs> no. all your evidences that you're presenting and the reason why yes. we're giving you a platform is because you have those evidences yeah I I I I sorry sent to you on Instagram all of my pictures all of my communication with yeah. the imam I sent you everything so please do have a look at it and um, yeah I, I would urge you to look at it so and you this, further this, understand so this imam what's his like what's his background is he from here uh, as in when I say from um, here is is he what's his English like what he's Pakistani his yeah. English is alright because yeah. he's lived here for quite a while and I just like to reiterate that he's known my family, my parents for a very long time. So he wasn't new to us when he, when my in-laws brought him on the wedding day. He wasn't new to us. We blindly trusted him. Okay. We did. And that was a mistake on our part, um, on our part. I don't like to say um, I blame anyone in specific, but I do admit that we should have done more. Um, like because we as women we have so much so many rights when it comes to our nikah and our actual nikah nama we have a lot of rights and um, I should have done more at that time but I just I just blindly trusted the imam basically you don't you you don't think of like it's I think that you're getting married you know you don't expect um, the person that's reading your nikah exactly to be in on some yeah. yeah and um even my witnesses on the day they signed that paper um i specifically remember they signed that paper but um if you have a look at the pictures hopefully you'll be the evidence that i've sent you there's pictures it'll be a lot more clearer to you but um did you yeah. did you book a hall yes we did we booked a hall a big venue there was about 250 people so, the- so you have those like the booking dates and all of that stuff. Yeah, I've got a yeah. wedding invite. I've got a wedding cool. invite. I've got yeah. a wedding video. And I, in the beginning, it says it says the dates. Yeah, right. just okay. just and to be venue. clear, just to be clear, um, I, I've seen the evidences, and these this is what you sent to me on the uh, on the Instagram on the connotations Instagram. So yeah. everything's on there, and obviously, um, yeah. I've not I've not done a thing where like I've not checked your evidences and you know brought you onto the podcast to just tell your side of the story. Like everything yeah. that you've said, there's it's, there's it's backed up. Yeah, it um, is. So it is backed up. Th- that's just me reiterating to the audience and the co-host that we've. Yeah. So I, I've personally. I can vouch for that. I've looked. I've looked at it. I've um, yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously, the co-hosts they need to uh, get up yes. to speed in those things. <laughs> <laughs> Please, uh, the other brothers, I would, I would urge you to have a look as well at the evidence because I'm just listen. I'm just trying to. Um, the reason why I might sound a little bit skeptical. I'm not skeptical, but it's good. It's good to question these things on like whilst you're here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because people are yeah, going to watch and, you know, there's yeah. going to be people who say, um, oh, Imam Saab, you know, uh, it can't be wrong. Or, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like people Trust can me, say I all know. kinds of things. So that's I why know. I'm asking these questions and like, 
Yeah, because obviously we're not. We wouldn't reveal those evidences to the audience. That yes, you know. Yeah. So it's important for like these guys them to, to know. Yeah, because yeah. like I mentioned early on in the podcast, like I specifically said to a couple of them, like. Um, uh, this is the issue you want to bring forward. Yeah, and and I said to them, look, um, I'll I'll sp- I'll speak to the sister on on yeah. uh, on on the connotations Instagram and stuff, and I'll get her story from us, so I know. But in in the interests of the podcast and me not, you know, asking unnatural questions that I already know the answers to, I'll have you guys um ask yeah. them so what i said about the co-host catching up and stuff that's obviously i, I was joking and obviously that's yeah. like, that's based on my instruction um to like you know my my yeah. advice really uh, yeah. but yeah anyway and, and uh, it, it, it was just to it was just so that the viewers know that we don't know like we don't, you're not related to us we don't well i don't no. know you i don't I've know never you, met you. Yeah. so it's like it's not like this is a um this is just premeditated it's or... not premeditated at all this yeah. is not not non-biased obviously we can't speak to the imam or whatever but we've seen what you've sent us and yeah you're, you know you're, you're here to tell your story yeah and from the i said in the very beginning and i'll say it again like that i messaged you guys on your instagram page and i i, I said something on the, along the lines of you should talk about like the nikah and how it should be done yeah and then and i think then i went on to say actually well this is my story or something i don't remember specifically but my initial reason for contacting you was you talk about social issues islamic issues talk about this as well and then i told you what i'd gone through and i did not think for one minute that i would be here right now yeah yeah, 100 (laughs) percent. and i think that i uh kind of alluded to that in the beginning of the podcast where um i felt like because you know you made that recommendation about us you know um raising awareness about this kind of issue um indirectly but i just felt like it would be so much better if you came on and told the story from your end because i could get i could get an imam on here and i could we could talk about nikai generally but we won't be able to raise awareness of this kind of issue as you would yeah so uh, um so going back to the story like he basically was not cooperating and every time we made an effort to speak to him we were we retaliated with stuff so every other week like my tire was slashed or something or like i had some sort of issue with my car like my parents had their windows smashed um like as we were trying to make progress and going out in the community to seek help they would always retaliate with stuff how, um, how if you don't mind me asking how old was this guy seems quite young um let's just say around 30s early 30s okay by so, this point i mean quite immature slash yes person. yeah 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 like i there was always like my mom i've mentioned before is a very successful successful businesswoman and she she much did so well in setting it up and you know finding her contacts and she's she's just an amazing woman is all i can say and um yeah they were just very like jealous of her and they hated her so going back to the nagar thing i mean yeah like what was the point i was gonna make was like my mom's place of work every other day some random person they were sending people to her to like try and get information out of her oh i i heard your daughter's um your daughter's being kicked out of her home like her husband left her because she's done this and she's done that 
my mom was harassed every week by like their family friends their family and it was such a horrible thing because i did not leave anything unturned i i reported everything to the to the police and anyone going through similar stuff report it even if the police don't do anything report it because when things finally come to um a halt or something big happens everything that you've reported even though you don't have evidence of who did it you can say who you think you did it and it will not bear very well on on them in the long run mm. and i've learned that the hard way it was very frustrating trust me like i would be on the phone to the police i'd be at the police station every other week like telling them that they've done this now they would say to me you don't have any evidence but it's good that you're coming in because you're building up a case so like anyone who's going through something similar being harassed being threatened don't be scared don't hold back that's my advice just to be clear i can leave this bit bit in right and just take out the bit where you mentioned about your mom owning it yeah can i leave in the bit that she was getting harassed yes yeah okay. just i just don't cuz that will yeah fair away okay. so um just okay so fast forwarding just a little yeah. bit um onto you eventually get into a stage where you obtained your khula through reaching out to the appropriate imam who was there to support yeah. you and who deals with these kind of issues um yeah before i get onto that question did the counseling course come after that or before that um sorry i missed out another really big big thing So the mosque that he's associated with and um I told them everything when I kind of came to know what he'd done um after he accused me of having a child outside of nikah um and having a living relationship with a man I I told them everything and um they supposedly they they said they carried out a disciplinary on him and um they carried out a disciplinary on him they asked me to give all my evidence as in like my wedding video pictures everything of the day and the video part of him reading manika i gave them everything they asked for it and they did a disciplinary on him and um i've i've given the letter that they sent to me and basically they they didn't they didn't get me a copy of manika nama either they eventually what it came down to was the mosque that he works at the mosque that he to this day leads juma prayers he leads janazas the mosque that he still associated with it it came down to them saying he is free to do what he wants outside of this mosque it doesn't it doesn't bother us it doesn't affect us so they did not help me get my nikah papers and he still to this day works there is an employee of that mosque i just wanted to put that in there <laughs> so why do you think what makes you um so when you say employee of the mosque uh, he gets a salary from the masjid as an imam yes um so what what makes you think they would cover up for someone do you think there's a shortage of imams or there's not a sh- so- shortage of imams but the way that that mosque work mosque works is everyone's got something on each other it's one of those type of mosques that's just run uh, run by the elders 
that's quite common you know like the you know the yeah uh, we call it a committee yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, it's basically uh-huh. um yeah. yeah they're all they're all either friends or they're allies so they'll come yes up. and they've come been up. there for like years and years they're not like like we i requested a meeting with all of them with all of the trustees of that mosque and um there was like maybe uh, i think eight or nine men and it was my parents and i and um I sat down with them and I said that I'm really, really disappointed that as a mosque, um, I've, I've come to you, I've come to my local mosque as a daughter of the Muslim community and I'm asking you for your help. And, and you're saying to me that this imam is free to do what he wants outside of the mosque. Mm. And I said, this imam outside of the mosque is accusing a daughter of the society of, of having a living relationship with someone and having a, having a daughter outside of the girl. I was like, how do you think that makes me feel? Yeah, it comes to that thing about, you know, what I mentioned with the these kind of mosques which have, you know, committees and stuff and they have allies and friends on the committee that they want to, you know, cover up and yeah. stuff for. Um, it comes to that thing about Lokya um, Kenge. So if um, if they expose the imam like that or the imam got sacked, for example, followers of that imam, they'd ask questions yeah. and then they'd have to give answers. And then when given answers, that would reflect the whole mosque mm. as a in, in bad light basically so that's i think that's um a pakistani problem uh, specifically yeah. or a, a subcontinent problem um yeah but it's not I, fair that i yes, have to of suffer course, that of course, of course i'm so so disheartened to this day and i you know the response i got to that one of the um trustees he has a business outside of being a trustee of the mosque he and I specifically remember him saying this to me. Oh, um, uh, sister, I have a business, and um, if one of my employees that worked for me did something outside of outside of work um, that was illegal or something, but it didn't affect my business, I wouldn't pull him up on it. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a difference between um, how the, can you liken yeah. a business to a mask? First point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if he does want to compare it to. Imam Sahib is getting, you know, PYE. He's an employee, like yeah. legally kind of thing. He's a uh, um, he's getting pay slips and stuff and a salary. Then yes, it is a business, but that's just that's just to pay uh, him a salary, and that's just the laws of this country. To us, he's an imam, which exactly. is supposed to be like a community kind of like a yeah. What would you say, like a community like leader kind of thing? So yeah, a leader of the community, a pastor. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back, uh, back home, what tends to happen is, say, for example, there's a dispute between two families or something, they would tend to go to the imam and be like, okay, can you sit in on this uh, resolution and stuff? And he basically says, oh, yeah, like that kind of figure. But yeah. to equate an imam to just an employee um, and to a business. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah imam, imams are generally mediators even. And in this case, um, it's the total opposite. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. when I visited the Imam directly, he just kept giving me all these ridiculous so-called facts about is, uh, divorced Islamic women. And I don't want to go into it because apparently he gives the same facts to everyone. Can you give um, us one? So he will say, he's been, so he said to me, oh, um, you know, you shouldn't take a divorce. You're going to get married again and it's not going to work out. 
and you'll get married again. Um, so-and-so's daughter, she's on her sixth marriage. So-and-so's daughter is on her fourth marriage. If you go for a divorce in the court, it's going to cost you 50, 60, 70,000 pounds. Why do you want to be a burden on your parents? Mm. That See, would that be shows, advice yeah, I was that, given. Yeah, that, that shows that, you know, that's not a trust where you'll get justice from. So what I want to get onto at this point is yeah. how did you go about finding someone who you could trust and you could who you felt that could bring you justice in a way in the in the yeah. dunya because you'll get your in justice this, in the hereafter inshallah. inshallah but inshallah. in the in the dunya who did you go to uh you made your prayers and everything but uh who were you guided to to like you know seek um, out justice eventually like me like if you can imagine in 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 the area that i live in it is a bit of a patriarchal society anyway, but where we live, it's in the Pakistani community, it is a bit patriarchal. And all people were seeing in our community, in the Pakistani community, is two women, me and my mom, fighting out against a mosque, fighting out against a mom, because a few people uh, did find out. So we were viewed as like, oh, you know, look at them, shame on them, this and that. And um, a lot of people were talking about us and, you know, it, it, there was a point where I felt like would, I would go somewhere to a local shop and I just felt so paranoid that, like, that person's looking at me. Does he know? It just got to such a weird, weird point. But eventually, through someone, we were um, put in touch with this man um, who lives in our local area. And he's a very successful, just man um, in that he fights for the right thing. And he's very well respected. Eventually, we were put in contact with him. And um, he, I told him everything. And a lot of people in where we live are scared of him. <laughs> and uh, no one can say no to him because he's, from day one, he's really done a lot to build the Pakistani community in, in, in the area that we live in. Um, so he has quite a presence. He has a very big presence in the local area that we live in. Eventually, I got him involved, and um, he basically liaised with the imam. He got um, he got a barrister, a solicitor involved, and um, we wrote out a few legal letters. Um, and eventually, um, all I got was like something signed by the imam. I still don't have my proper nikanama. I don't have a proper nikah You know the way the, the nikah are supposed to be, like on an actual form, with your name, with your father's name, with your witnesses, everything. Still to this day, I don't have it. Um, all I got was um, a signed letter, basically, by the imam to say that, yeah, I did, I did conduct your nikah on the actual day it was. And... Um, just confirming that I wasn't seeking my hukmer and that I didn't, I didn't take it at the time of my nikah. That's all I got. So, so you got, wait, hang on a second. You weren't taking your hukmer at the yeah. time of So what does that mean? So basically, I just, I wanted something in writing from him to say that he confirmed that he yeah. did do my nikah. 
I got that, but I also wanted him to put in there that I didn't take my hakmer at the time of. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay, fine, fine, fine. If I apply for a kula, I have to give that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I but I didn't, I didn't take it at the time of my nikah, so I just wanted that in there. So was that, en- was that enough? I honestly feel like I had to make do with it because by that time, I like I was already emotionally, physically exhausted. I was just gone by that time, like months and months of fighting, months and months of going to um, this organization, going to um, XYZ uncle, going to um, like, there's, a, there's like a group of people here um, in the local area that I live with and they do social work, going to them, asking them for help. Like I was just gone and then, even just seeing that was enough for me. I was relieved, to be honest. And so, what what does that give you, though? What it, so when you you have you've got this letter now? Yeah. Um, so Islamically, your like the kula is complete. The kula is complete, and again, I I urge a lot of sisters um, to look into this kula as well because you do have options. You've got options when it comes to khula. You've got um, you've got an option to take a khula or you've got an option to take a fusk. A lot of people are not aware of what a fusk is um, because khula is the main term that is used or main thing that's sought when a woman wants a dalak, a divorce, an Islamic divorce. But I urge you all to do your research and go to someone who's a bit more educated um, in terms of not just Islamically obviously but educated in terms of a bit more with the time and a bit more basically not backward yeah what's a fusk so I a fusk is basically the organization that you go to whether it's Sharia or any other organization they will basically dissolve your marriage but it's not as easy as just about dissolving it. You have to provide a lot of evidence. You have to provide written statements and they will do their back work as well. And then they will issue you that. So, so wait, hang on. So Fusk, is, is that like an Islamic term? Yes. Right, okay, cool. It is. So, and, um, so um, a lot of people, like um, a lot of people who criti- you know, you know, people who criticize Islam, like non-Muslims, and they yeah. they bring it up. They bring this up a lot, where they say um, a woman is not allowed to uh, get a divorce uh, from a man, and a man is allowed to get a divorce from a woman. So, so they basically highlight this. But obviously, there's you've just pointed out there's hula and there's fusk, um, which I'm going to look into as well. But we have the like from an Islamic perspective, women have been given them those rights. Um, yes. Uh, to do that. Um, yes, they have. They have. We've got options, and um, I think I'm it's not... yeah. It's it's about urging um, the okay. So two people are getting married. It's about knowing each other's rights as well. Um, yeah. The woman has to be totally clued up on her rights and the husband too. Yeah. The husband has to know the wife's rights and the wife has to know the husband's rights. And as long yeah. as you fulfill them, um, I think that uh, calls for a successful marriage. Um, Definitely. At a high level. Because at the end of the day, we know Islam is perfect and these rights were yes. given to us. 
uh, for a reason. We fulfill them, we'll lead a uh, perfectly well uh, mm. life. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and where we slip up, we we can ask for Magfira. And uh, I'm sure, yeah. obviously, uh, in current society, not everyone uh, is able to fulfill those rights for for whatever reason. Um, and, yeah, but uh, uh, before before I got married, I read a book. It's like a small book. It's like a one of those little booklets, and it was um, it was like the rights of like your wife, basically. Yeah. Um, and then when you read it, you used to, <laughs> Like you read it and you're just like, oh, okay. Um, I wasn't expecting, you know, um, obviously like uh, I'm not like misogynistic or anything, but coming from a culture where women's rights from an Islamic perspective are kind of taken away from them. Yeah. In your mind, naturally, you're going to think, okay, maybe it's her right. She has to do X, Y, and Z. But then when I read the book, I was like, oh, Okay, so it's not like it's it's more it's more of a cultural yeah. thing. Um, well, if you think about it, this is such a simple thing, but a lot of people don't know this. When your nikah takes place, the woman is asked first, and there's a reason behind that. She's asked first if she wants to enter this Islamic marriage in case yeah. she's being forced or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know these these small small things we do need to educate ourselves on, and like you did read books do whatever you can to gain that knowledge because yeah, yeah. it's there for us yeah and it's not something you can get from experience unless you've been married previously yeah so these are this kind of education you know we've very we've important very important yeah. because at the end of the day you're marrying someone and if you're yeah. not educated about your rights and whatever you know what, yeah not yeah. just this but um i just want to put it out there that Muslim girls, they're just kind of like, because I've, I've heard of different girls. Um, I've had, I've met a lot of girls throughout this process that I've been through. And um, I've seen the way they're sort of in, in our Muslim society, in our Pakistani culture, they're just kind of like, they're just kind of taught to just be okay with everything, move on quickly, like just kind of dust it off. So not only know your Islamic rights, but you need to know that there's help out there for you. Yeah, There is help. There's counselling that you can have. And there's this course that you can do. And it's an 11-week course. And um, you you, you need to look into these things because your state of mind is is not right coming out from an abusive marriage. You need this help. And just to put you out there as well, when you, when it comes to speaking to people and getting help, um, you have to speak to the right people as well and speak yes. to right, honourable and honest and credible yes. sheikhs and shayukh because at the yes. end of the day, you could any if a husband don't doesn't want to fulfil a certain right of a, of his wife, he can go to a more of a say a biased sheikh and get a biased fatwa, for example, and use mm. it against yeah. uh, his wife. So you have to speak to credible people. You have to speak to learned people of the deen, not just your any Tom, Dick and Harry that can um, issue fatwas based on, you know, your desires or anything. If you want to be a more controlling husband, he'll give you a fatwa to, you know, use against your wife. Exactly. We don't don't encourage that. We encourage people to speak to learned people and honest people and credible people. I actually went to, I don't know if you should put this in there, but I went to get my collar. And I am 100% sure in my mind that they pre-warned them that I was coming. 
hundred percent because the way they treated me there, I just felt like a really horrible, dirty person is all I can say. They basically, um, it's where you go to get your uh, hula, basically, or your fusk, whatever you want to do. Um, okay. It's based in London. Um, is it a, what, what kind of organization is it? Is it like a Pakistani one or is it, what is this? Well, when I, when I went there, I met with one person who was very insensitive towards me. I was expected to stand in the reception area and explain to him the ins and outs of my marriage. There was no privacy. There was no understanding. It was very like, he took my details first. He took my personal details. And I felt like he knew me from before. Like they'd, the mosque had pre-warned him or the imam had pre-warned him that I would be coming. I just had the really, really funny feeling with the way he was behaving with me. And um, I went there once and I was like, I'm not applying for a khulas with them because there is a certain way that you handle a situation. And they were just really, really unprofessional, really insensitive. They're asking me such personal questions out in the reception area. They They didn't even bother taking me to like a separate room or like let's book an appointment or like, it was very horrible. Can you elaborate on the organization that did help you? I yes. Remember you telling me about them. Yes. That would be very I, useful. I actually went to the London Fatwa Council. And um, um, it, it's run by Sheikh Yazdani. And um, he's a very educated, learned man, uh, obviously both in Islam and um and yeah in this in this in this sort of time and life he's kind of up to speed with things he's basically a female advocate and um the way he helped me and the way he explained things to me just it just made things so much easier it gave me so much hope um with what i'd been through and he just reassured me he gave me the reassurance that i needed that what i went through in Islamic terms, it was not okay. Like, I knew it was not okay. You know that in your head. But for you to be told that by a learned sheikh is another thing. Mm-hmm. Hard to explain, but it really is another thing. I understand, thing. yeah. Like, for, for months and months and months, I was, like, going to all these different people. And although they were sympathizing with me, like, it wasn't the same. So to hear that from like, like a sheikh, it was just another thing, basically. It was just, it was really nice. And he just handled everything with such sensitivity, such professionalism. And that's what it should be like. You know, there's the Islamic guideline of things. But, you know, you still do need to be professional and like sensitive as well alongside that. Like I think, I think um, because you keep like, you keep mentioning there's the Islamic guidelines and then, but you have to, you know, but this, I think, (laughs) uh, I think that um, our culture and obviously the masjids that you speak of, they're like predominantly, they're, they're they're like Asian Pakistani ones. Yeah. Um, I went to different um, masjids from different, different cultures and they're quite different. Um, So you wouldn't expect. uh, So for example, the the mosque that I went to uh, when I was at university, um, they had they had these days where the they had um, like 
girl camping days where they had like the sisters they would take the yeah girls, like that kind of stuff you know that community stuff uh, if yeah. that was if if pakistan if, if a pakistani mosque was to do that you would have uh, the community saying look at that mosque you know yeah How, what uh, even though they are following islamic guidelines and everything is fine it uh, yeah. a lot of the things that are permissible in islam and that um a lot of the rights that females have in islam are made taboo in pakistani culture so yeah that's true that's why uh, that's why um and this is coming from a personal experience as well islam will always you'll always find your cr- crutch like you if you're in a sticky situation yeah um if you're in an abusive situation you you'll always find your crutch in islam because uh. islam doesn't teach those islam doesn't isn't what what they say it is um so if you you know if you go out and you speak to you gain knowledge and things like that you you'll you'll find um that islam is uh a very fair um just crutch. religion it's a just yeah. religion and um obviously um uh, uh our culture um like you know the masjid that you speak about um we've had personally like akib um he's he's personally had a uh, an issue with uh, a, a, where a member of the masjid uh, committee whatever set him up in a way where he was physically harmed and i've seen um uh, i've i've seen a situation in say, in in high wickham when i went to university yeah. there where um basically a bunch of guys they got done for like uh, for grooming and stuff like this and the imam he all he said was and this was a very nice imam from birmingham all he said during the juma prayer was um may allah guide them and what happened was one of the committee members was the father of one of those guys that got uh, done for grooming or whatever yeah. and he had such power that he the imam uh, lost his job and was replaced the next day and he was wow. the, he was the imam there for 3 years and he got replaced yeah. just like just like that so there's a lot of politics that goes into yeah. masjids um there's a lot of funding um yes. a lot of these committee members you'll find they're not they're not like educated highly educated muftis or yeah. learned people or honorable no. people where people would be like that person is uh, uh doesn't lie therefore um he should be a part of the no it's it's more that person owns this business in our local area that yeah. person can fund a lot of our stuff therefore he is part of the yeah. community so it's it's a, it's a every, very political every committee member basically has some sort of fighter some sort of um, exactly exactly uh what's the english word <laughs> some Ven- sort of benefit benefit yeah, yeah. Per- personal from benefit personal benefit from the other member or they are hiding some sort of secret yeah yeah, yeah. okay um i i've got two questions for you and yeah. the first one is can you talk a bit about the counseling course that you went through and the reason why i asked this is because a lot of women or men would come out of an abusive marriage because obviously you can go yeah. both ways but they they come out of it and they're scarred for life kind of thing they're traumatized and they'll you know they'll suffer for the rest of their lives whether that's in um haram relationships or halal ones like marriage people won't get treatment what made you actually get treatment or therapy 
uh, yeah. or counseling whereby this is not common in our culture at all how, yeah. i mean did you need convincing how did that even come no. about well i i i said this from the beginning and i just like to reiterate that my parents from day one have been very supportive very very supportive and it was sort of them and and my siblings that said to me that you know what you should get help you're not yourself you've been through a lot we are there to support you but there's certain things that we don't understand that you've been through that are still in your mind that you need help with you need some sort of explanation so they they pushed me like my mom used to drive me from like organization to organization to get help to get information like i i remember those days very clearly even though it's been quite a while like i would sit in the in the front seat with my car of with my mom in the car she'd be driving and i'd just be like sitting there and she'd be like right you need to get out now and you need to go inside and you need to speak to this person by yourself you need to like they used to push me to like become myself again yeah, to get help pretty, that's pretty amazing in itself because you won't find that in a lot of um, typical asian families yeah. because they're scared about you know what the society will say no no yeah. my my parents they pushed me my siblings they pushed me they were like don't like cry let it out but don't crumble don't give them the satisfaction of like seeing you broken like don't give them that satisfaction there was a certain day um i won't go into why but i had to face my ex-husband and um my like a few days before my mom was like right do you know what you're going to do oh, my mom my mom is if you look at her <laughs> she's very pakistani you know shalwar kameez dupatta on the head urdu punjabi speaking she looked at me and she said you know what you have to face him on that day go and get yourself a new outfit and on that day make sure you look like amazing like don't don't go in front of him and let him have that satisfaction of seeing you like even though she's like i know you're broken inside but she was like don't ever give anyone that satisfaction of physically seeing you broken go in front of them confident and fighting and even on that day in the morning she gave me this huge pep talk oops sorry my phone fell she gave me a huge pep talk she was like you're strong you're amazing you have a beautiful child out of this you're going to be fine she fully prepared me what pakistani mother does that yeah uh, there's a lot of um there's a lot of um uh, women in pakistani like families like for like one example i'd give is my grandma because you know they've they go through this stuff they didn't get yeah. they didn't have counselors and no. all that stuff so they go they have to they have to go through this stuff and then they reach a certain age and then they um they kind of let it out their wisdom yeah. um yeah and there a lot of uh, like female empowerment i've seen in our in in my family especially comes from my grandma who's not yeah. who's not like she hasn't had that um counseling yeah. but you know when you go through something and it's like females have been going through hard times especially in our culture not to say men haven't men have been going through hard times as well but um a lot of the times female um oppression gets overlooked in our culture yeah it does it's, it's just it just gets a bit a little bit too um normalized like it is very normalized in our society 
Um, like not not just amongst the men, but it gets to a point where females they start um, oppressing other females in families because yeah. I, like it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but it, it, they just get in that mindset where okay, this is how it is. This is yeah. this is how life is. But you know, that's where I'm going to put it out there. It's, we're failing as a society, as a Muslim community. We're failing. Where are all of our Muslim um, counselors, female counselors, who can give that guidance to you, like through the eyes of Islam? Like, I've I have had to talk to men about all of these issues. That's all I've done in these past two years. I've not spoken to one woman because there's none out there. I did contact. I think how many did I contact? Two. I contacted two because they're very prominent on, on social media and I got no response from them. Hmm. And it still to this day breaks my heart that, you know, there's girls out there who are suffering and I got through it the way I did, but it's not fair that more women have to suffer. Where are our Muslim counsellors, female counsellors who are learned in Islam, who can offer sessions to women who can support them like where are they i just hmm. i just find it baffling take this as a plea take this as a warning take this as whatever you want but we need more of these like imagine how uncomfortable it Definitely. was for me speaking to like an uncle a proper uncle about all of this and it was it was really uncomfortable but i have no choice i had Especially no choice Especially in our communities, I think um, Muslim counselors and even maybe Pakistani counselors or Indian or Bangladeshi or whatever, yeah, yeah, it's crucial because you it, typically you won't get that support from your family because obviously, like I said before, families have that thing about the perception, right? Um, they they do much about that, so they they're a bit scared. Um, even if they want to get justice, they're kind of bound by. Um, perhaps not getting justice because yes. it's like oh my, my daughter's come home my daughter's married she's come home what will people say like what how yeah. does she not um it's in urdu we call it nibana like how how um, does she not nibar that marriage you know what i mean like how does she not come yeah because kind of thing, we like, like would that, then come the woman yeah that that falls into line of what my in-laws were like because we were very specifically threatened um in in Urdu, that's a threat. Like, to them, that's a threat. And, yeah, but it's a threat. Like, that's them, their mentality. If, yeah, like, for me, if that ever happened to my child, I'd be like, yeah, cool. I'm happy that's with that. That's exactly what my parents said. They were like, we would rather her sit in our house for the rest of her life than be with a family like you. Have you heard that saying, um, uh, um, it's like a, so it, when a girl it's, I'm translating it so it's, it might be lost in translation a, a little bit but when a girl gets married the, the only time she should come back to her, her parents is when she, it is, is her mayat is her dead body have you ever heard of that? Um, I, I heard that I, th I think it's like a, a, um, an old saying um, yeah. like old Pakistani saying but it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing to say you know it's it like is. yeah what yeah that's the kind of mentality i mean what did this uh, um, counseling course consist of 
So um, I had two separate things that I did. So every week I would go and see someone and I would sit down with her and I would talk things out. And she would just listen to me and I would just basically uh, ramble on and on and on and she would listen to me. Then she would teach me techniques on how to handle my emotions and I would put those into exercise because when I was going through everything, I didn't know how to switch off. So she would she would teach me things and tell me to do this, tell me to do that, do things that make me happy, focus on my happiness, focus on my uh, on my child. Um, she would teach me exercises, and then aside from that, um, I did this program called the Freedom Program, and it's basically an eleven week course. And every every week you you meet up with a group of women you're made to sign like a confidentiality form that you're not going to speak about um, anyone else's personal story outside of the group um, and they teach you about um, different types of abuse and they, they t like just putting that aside learning the different types of abuse that exist putting that aside just sitting in that group and hearing about stories about what other women went through that in itself was quite a lot and it it helped me make sense of things like finally I was not on my own that's how I felt like finally like oh actually what I went through it is valid it does exist because she's been through it too and I've never met this woman yeah I know it's so, quite um, unfortunately it's quite common um you know, like before you mentioned, it's getting incre increasingly, it's getting difficult for young women to actually find a partner. So Very the, difficult. So the pressure is on them, you know, but from yeah. family, friends, um, you know, the pressure is on to find a partner and get married. Um, you know, yeah. so like recently, I don't, I don't, you know, uh, I, I attended a wedding for my, one of my um, wife's friends. Um, and, a couple of months later you know I was told that you know she got divorced and it was really like to me it was quite shocking because it was it was like you know the girl the girl she went to her parents she said you know find me someone he was from here born and brought up um and it just didn't work out and it's it was just the pressure you know that she was feeling from yeah. everyone else to get married but I think there there has to be um there has to be like a structure, you know, with arranged marriage. I think people need to understand that um, personality, for example, like I mentioned before, somebody's introverted, yeah. shy, yeah. you know, uh, uh, they're like a recluse. They're not going to match with somebody who's always outgoing and stuff because that person, yeah. it's only about a time, it's only a, uh, it's only a matter of time where that person is like, oh, you're, not, you're always inside. Why are you always, uh, sat, you know, sat by yourself? Why aren't you coming? Yeah. Yeah, the other way around as well. So yeah, these little like uh, attributes or, that families need to yeah, or stuff like if if um, if the girl is more financially stable than the guy, then you need to have that conversation. As uncomfortable as it is, you need to have that conversation before you get married. See, I, I would I would say that um, that's not a good match. It isn't. I definitely agree. That's why you should have that conversation. Yeah. It's very important because that could be a big clash because Islamically, it's all on the man. 
But when it comes to culturally, it's it's a whole different story. And arranged marriages are very an arranged marriage is exclusively formed on on culture. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the just, course, yeah. like, uh, honestly, uh, every girl going through a difficult time. This is not. This is not Pakistan. Remember that. This is the UK. There's resources out there. It's very difficult sometimes to get to those resources, but don't give up. Google it. Speak to people. Like wherever you can, just find information and get to those places, and get help. Don't be scared. Honestly, like that's the biggest step you can take for yourself because that's what you need to do. You need to work on yourself. Forget the other people. The people who are meant to be in your life, they will be in your life. But work on yourself. That's really important. Yeah, I think I guess the final question that I want to ask you is: um, obviously, you've gone through a lot in the past um, few years, and you know, and you've highlighted it quite well on the podcast today. Um, what's next for you? Because obviously, you have a young daughter. Where do you see your life going? Um, in in the short term, if if Allah wills. Yeah, inshallah. Like I, I with the support of my family, I am where I am. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here right now. Like even when I told them about this podcast, they were all very positive. They were very happy. They were like, "Go for it." Told my mom, she was like, "Yeah, karo karo ha karna," and she was very supportive. And um, in terms of my life. Again, I am where I am because of my family. They have been the backbone for me. They they push me um, in the right sense, in the right way, in the right form to build my life back up. So I've I've found a job. It took me a while, but I didn't give up. Um, I found a job and I've worked for a few months and I've been promoted and I'm, I'm independent. I'm able to rely on myself. Uh, on myself, I've got confidence. And I do have hope that, inshallah, I will find someone um, to marry because I don't want to take the negatives forward in life with me because for me, for any girl, um, you know, the biggest example in your life is your father, not your ex-husband or (laughs) like an ex-boyfriend. You know, some people are into that. But your biggest example in your life when it comes to a man is your father or your older brother. And, you know, looking at my father, I do have hope in my heart that there are good men out there, good men out there. And I would like to get married again, inshallah. And I'm not scared about it. And, um, you know, if you want something, you pray for it. You don't, you don't seek it in people. You pray for it. So I'm just going to continue praying. And um, it's very difficult being like a divorced Pakistani mum. Every other day I hear like, oh, baby choti hai, se shaadi kar lo. Like she, so she accepts him. And it's, that's, such the, that's such a wrong thing to say in so many forms. Yeah, you haven't, you haven't had time to heal even. <laughs> you need to work on yourself first. Like... It's going to be difficult for the child regardless. But um, it will happen in time. Don't don't rush. Take your time. Explain to your parents um, what your expectations are, um, how you want to do things differently, 
and um, at the moment um, I'm, I'm focusing on my career and um, I'm focusing on building my life up in ways that I haven't before but alongside that I will look for myself I will look and um, I'm not afraid to and other sisters out there you shouldn't be afraid to look either don't let one bad experience put you off you know look at our islamic examples you know don't look at don't look at human form don't just look at human form look at your islamic examples um, of what men should be like and seek that yeah we we of course we all pray um collectively that you're able to find a suitable spouse uh, inshallah suitable, if it's meant sp- to be <laughs> yeah a spouse that's on the dean a spouse that yes. can fulfill your rights um ultimately and you know um may you never experience uh, this kind of situation again of I course i mean thank you um look thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us i think the original idea was around the uh fake nigar thing and i'm so glad that we've discussed it on a broader level because yeah. you've given us some gems today not just us but as men to understand your views but the rest of the women out there that could be going through this kind of situation the abuse yeah. of marriage and you know this discrepancies uh here and there the you know the whole visa thing there's so many women that are probably going through this but ultimately yeah. aren't able to speak out against it because of many many fears whether it's yeah. family society um all sorts and i think you've given them a voice today and you've empowered them and and we love to see that because it's not it's, so. these kind these kind of situations they're not really taken care of within our community and um of course as I far as a po- as far as a podcast goes um that's what we want to you know bring to the surface and help out where um we can you know let let go of these um like uh, these stereotypes yeah these stereotypes (laughs) these calamitous uh if that's a word um situations that you know come out from like you know typical backward thinking and it's such an influence on uh of of culture over islam um so yeah that that would be my you know final outro in a way to you know conclude this podcast and and i feel it's been very very beneficial this is probably the longest uh podcast that we've done and um, (laughs) uh, but i am certain it's it's you know of total value and uh that gives us us satisfaction that you know you're able to get your message out there so once again um thank you very much and um yeah i guess thank you for allowing me to tell my story on my platform on your platform sorry like (laughs) it's yours (laughs) (laughs) um no honestly thank you this is your platform and i've just come on to it because i don't i don't our intention is not to badmouth anyone or spread negativity it's just to raise awareness because there's so many naive young families young girls out there and it's just heartbreaking like i'm i don't have a doubt in my mind that this imam has done this to other families it's just they probably can't come forward like i have because i they don't have supportive parents or they're more culturally inclined and are worried about what people will say and but yeah i'm I'm still not done like i still feel like i need to do something to tackle this issue but it's very hard taking on the mosque <laughs> believe me i know like there are certain avenues that you can use but um there as sad as it is there is nowhere that this mosque is answerable to 
There's no central governing body. I've researched, I've searched, I've banged my head against the wall and I've, I've not come across anything. So if anyone does know anywhere that a mosque would be governed by or they're answerable to, then I would really like to know. Inshallah. So Definitely. I think... Um, what you've done today in terms of raising awareness that you should propel some sort of action from it, hopefully one of our listeners can um perhaps you know let us know maybe contact us and, and you know yeah. guide us in the right direction and we'll pass on that message for you yeah um, i i totally understand what you mentioned about the mosques having like a governing body regardless of what sect they are and everything like that i think mm. in the uk it, sh- it should be like a there should be a governing body where you know yeah. these kind of issues can be escalated because at the end of the day yeah. one mosque is not going to give someone justice and if the, if they want they can close the matter there we've obviously got like the police and everything all that stuff but yeah. these people need to be answerable to islamic organizations as well islamic, yeah. islamic governing body yeah. because um, i just want to put out there that what the imam did was not according to uk law clusters fraud because my nikah it it is valid. It was valid because it was said it was met. It met certain criteria. So the police, I did report this to them. They did their research. They have a central organization where they go to get that information. And they told me that it would not be classed as fraud. Therefore, they couldn't take things further. Yeah, so that's good to know. Um, yeah, it's not class of fraud because my nagar met certain criteria. It was said in congregation. I had evidence. I, I, they could see that I signed the papers. I had my witnesses. Yeah, regardless of that, it's still been an unlawful situation on in terms of Sharia. Yeah. So based on that, we, you know, we need to have these organisations. They, 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 they probably exist, and we don't know about them. But if someone can, you know, help bring them to light that would be you know that would help you out that would help other people that are going through this situation um mm. so i think that there's definitely an appeal um to those organizations to if they've set up something like this then yeah you need to you know market it better towards people like yourself and uh, yeah you know so we know that these places exist that we can escalate issues to um yeah. and if they haven't been set up then you know there's there's something there to be definitely to be explored. Done. yeah um, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, Thank you.